Welcome to Wealth Well Done. Together, we'll cover a wide range of important topics surrounding money and the impact it has on our lives. From the sophisticated and highly valuable planning techniques of the ultra-wealthy to the commonly underutilized biblical teachings. Together, we'll work to improve our relationship with money and our effectiveness in stewarding it well. Here's your host, Eric Scoville. All right. Welcome to the 14th episode of the Wealth Well Done podcast. Um, This is a show where we share our tactical, practical, and spiritual advice to help you do your wealth well done. Last week, we had Jeff Miller on as we went into money inside marriage and how to help navigate some of the problems that that certainly arise inside marriages revolving money. Uh, Today, we are going to do an overview into estate planning. And for that, we are actually going to read a real disclosure here. And so, the show is intended for inf- informational and educational purposes only. Uh, should not be construed as investment advice. You know, I would definitely want you to consult with a financial advisor to help determine um, the the best options for your particular circumstances. Again, no statement made during the show shall constitute tax or legal advice. That being said, I want to um, just stop here. You know, 14 episodes into this, and I'm starting to get quite a bit of feedback from people. And I just want to thank you. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. Um, thank you for the the feedback that you are giving me, um, whether in person or or online. Um, you know, the, it, there's a fair amount of expense, both financial and time, to put this together. And obviously, I'm not doing this to to get some financial return out of this. So the return that I get out of this is, is knowing that that there is advice that's being received and that it's making an impact to other people. So I just want to I want to thank you for that. Uh, it makes all of this worth it. Um, if you are, if it's good advice and it's it's doing something good for you, then I don't deserve credit for it. Give that to the Holy Spirit; He's the one speaking through me. If it's bad advice, then I'm gonna recommend you go back and listen to that disclaimer again. <laughs> you take it, you take it for what it is. Um, that being said, let's let's jump in. So, uh, inside an estate plan, and and the the type of estate plan is going to vary by by the person, by the assets, but. I'm going to kind of speak to a little bit of the middle of the road here for a minute. Um, that a normal estate plan that I that I might be recommending to a client is going to include some of these key documents. It's going to have a. I, I'm going to recommend a living trust, and so um, a trust is is a. We'll, we'll get into a little bit of the difference between a trust and a will here. Um, when you use a will, a, a will is something that that just dictates uh, some key things about the powers of attorney the um, guardianship and who gets your assets. So that's what happens inside a will. Um, but anytime there's a will, it automatically goes to probate. So whenever you have a, a will and you pass, then the court is going to um, basically, for, for the most part, put a freeze on your assets and they are going to, um, they're going to basically put it out there to all creditors, give them time to come in and try to claim, make a claim against any of the assets that are that are in your estate. Once that time has cleared and all, and all of those things are passed, then the, um, the court will hand out the assets per the directions inside the will. And so a will is typically pretty cheap. You might get it done for $300 or so, um, but you wind up paying on the back end because you have probate costs. So when there is, when someone does pass and they use their will, um, there's normally a fee that the 
that the attorney who's going to help with probate is going to charge. And across the country, your average is kind of in the three to seven percent range. Some some states are a little bit higher, um, but you can actually get e- even significantly higher depending on the the assets and the complexity inside the will. So you can see um, some pretty hefty fees on there. So the three hundred dollars you pay for a will compared to maybe the three thousand or so that you'd pay for a trust. Um, that difference in in fee up front is typically made up and, and then a lot more on the back end. So I'm almost always recommending a trust for clients instead of a will, um, uh, in large part because of that that purpose. The a will is becomes public information. All the all the assets that are um, going to be distributed, or excuse me, not not all the assets, but but basically the fact that what's in there is going to be public information. Whereas inside a trust, that stays private. Um, the trust allows kind of an immediate transfer of assets, whereas the the will is going to have that drawn out period. And then, like I said, the will is going to wind up having some significant uh, costs associated with it in terms of probate fees for the attorneys. So uh, inside the plans that I'm going to be recommending to a client, you're going to have a living trust. You're going to have a living will as well. You're going to have a uh, medical power of attorney is, amongst other things, going to uh, put a description in there that if you were to um, maybe be on life support, what direction do you want to give the uh, the doctors in, in order to um, how to handle it? Do they want to keep you on and use every life-saving measure possible, or do you want them to pull the plug? Uh, there's a lot more that goes into it, but in general, you can kind of think of medical power of attorney as something like that, Who and who is going to make those decisions on your behalf. Um, financial power of attorney, this is going to be the person who's going to be in charge of of deciding uh, how to to make these financial decisions for you uh, after you pass as well. Um, pour over will. Pour over will is going to be on there. We're going to have a schedule of gifts. So, so those are those are kind of the main documents that you're going to see inside a typical state plan: the living trust, the living will, the medical and financial powers of attorneys, uh, pour over will, schedule of gifts. On top of that, then where I like to have my clients do something a little bit different is two things. One, I'd like a letter to the beneficiaries. So I want my clients to write a letter to every person that they've designated as a beneficiary to to really um, kind of communicate their heart behind behind this. Whether if that's a child, you know, whether they are going to be minor children or adults, um, but especially if they're minors, a way for you to to write a deep and meaningful letter. Um, to them, sharing with them your thoughts on them, sharing with them how important it is that they um, that you make this gift to them and what you hope they do with the gift as well. Uh, so especially to to minors, that's really important. But even uh, even if you're doing it to older children or if you're doing it to, to charities as well, a uh, letter to the beneficiaries um, really helps communicate the heart, your heart behind the gift. And so I, I always encourage clients to do that. I've seen some really heartfelt, amazing letters there. Um, the next one that makes some attorneys uh, not so happy with it, but I, I still encourage it anyways, is a letter to the trustee. And so we're going to get into in a minute here what a trustee is, but uh, think of that as the person who's in charge of executing the uh, the directions that you give uh, inside the trust. And so I want you to write a letter to the trustee, really, again, communicating your, your heart and your intentions behind the gift. Um, most most of the trust documents that are drafted up are going to be fairly boilerplate. Um, they're drafted by attorneys to protect to the letter of the law. So the, the uh, there's not a lot of room in there for communication of 
of what your heart is behind this. And, and there is some, and depending on the attorneys, some some attorneys do a really great job with this, um, and others don't. And so, what I encourage people to do is to put a letter in saying, like, um, you know, we, we really want to we want to encourage our child. So, so we've got these things. We want to allow them to use this um, this money for for uh, if the purchase of a home, for continuing education, for uh, if they need it for medical reasons, like you can have some of these things in there that are that are fairly standard. But then we also, you know, might say like, I'm an entrepreneur, and therefore I am. I want my kids to to take chances and to go start a business, and I don't want you to be so strict on them and their business plan that that if they they want twenty thousand dollars to go start a business, that you're gonna um, you know basically scare them away from it. And if it's their third or fourth business, I'm still okay with that too, so long as they are learning and growing and getting better. And so, uh, just whatever that might be for you, a letter to the trustee to to help guide your heart or guide them on on how your heart is behind this. Now, it's illegal. The reason attorneys typically don't like this is because it is a if you've added in there, it's a legal document, and so um, you're going to want your attorney to review that and to make sure that you're not saying anything in there that contradicts the language inside the trust. Um, the, the, the big thing that I typically am asking for is that this is a, is a gift for the enhancement of the life of the beneficiary. Because every beneficiary is going to be different. If you've got young children, you know, um, as a five-year-old, you're not going to be able to tell what they're, you know, what type of child they're going to be when they're 22. And so you want to, you're, you're going to have to put some level of trust into the trustee to to make a, a good decision with this, and you don't want to have too much control from the grave. So, therefore, I'm encouraging people to to give the trustee some leniency, not make the trust too strict that that then the the trustee doesn't have the ability to make their own uh, judgment call. And so, um, that that's really the, the the purpose behind this is that the you know the the gift of the, the purpose of the trust is a gift for the enhancement of the life of this beneficiary, and therefore, I may not be able to define exactly what that looks like here when writing this letter, here when forming this trust, but I'm asking you, the trustee, to to use some discretion there, and I'm giving you permission to do so. Um, again, talk with your attorney about that because there's a lot of nuances in that, but uh, that, that's something that you don't see very often. Uh, it's just something that I've found to be really impactful um, for, for my clients. I think I may have covered this, but when we get into the wills, um, there are some states that don't allow you to charge a percentage and um, they don't allow the attorneys to charge a percentage. Uh, so inside the probate, so where you might see this uh, three to seven, four to 8% average range, depending on the state, um, inside like Illinois, for example, doesn't allow a percentage to be charged, but rather you, you charge a fee based off of the, uh, the amount of services rendered. And you're gonna see that range four to $6,000 for a um, for a really, smooth, easy process without any complications. Uh, but the average, according to the estate and pro- probate legal group, the average is actually $12,500 um, is the probate fee inside Illinois. So $3,000 to do a trust, $300 to do a will, you save money up front. The trust gives you a lot more uh, flexibility, a lot more, it, it's a much better process all around, but you're going to pay more up front. And then on the back end, um, you you don't have those probate fees. So that's where, that's one of the main reasons why we like using a trust. Um, we are going to, I, I'm not going to have time today to get into this, um, but I'm going to bring, I'm going to have an attorney come on here at a, at a later episode and we are going to get into some of the, uh, 
the high level and very specific um, estate planning techniques. So we're going to get into generational skipping trust. We're going to get into spousal lifetime access trust. We're going to get into charitable remainder trust and some of these other these other things that are more complex. And I am not an attorney, so I am speaking from my level of knowledge. Uh, we will bring someone on who speaks from my much higher uh, technical expertise to to really dig in on those questions, similar to how we've been doing it with other guests so far. Okay, next up, we are going to cover beneficiary selection. Uh, we don't need to spend a lot of time on this one, but this is one that most people just make the automatic assumption that it's their kids and the uh, or, or your spouse as well. Um, so kids and spouse, and just also important to remember that it doesn't have to be. You can choose. There can be uh, there can be someone that's been near and dear in your life. Um, whether they are significantly younger or older doesn't matter, um, but you can you can name anyone as a beneficiary. Um, what a lot of people actually do is they also name charities. And so you'll see people who might name, if they had four kids, they might name uh, each of their kids, you know, a 20% beneficiary of, of the assets in the in the estate and a charity or a couple of charities to get the remaining 20% or something along those lines. So you see people add... Um, basically gift their life insurance policies to a charity. Um, so anyways, there's a number of ways that you can go about this, but but including charity in your estate plan is a phenomenal uh, approach, and I'm, I'm a huge proponent of that. So definitely don't just don't limit your beneficiaries to your immediate family, I guess is the main thing that I'm trying to communicate here. The next thing, which is a, a big one, is the trustee selection. So again, like I mentioned, trustee is someone who's going to they're gonna they're gonna be in charge of executing what, whatever you draft up into that document, um, and so this can be a, an individual person. It can also be an entity, and so this can be this can be Uncle Joe. Uncle Joe can be in charge of of um, you know deciding which financial uh, firm we're going to use for the uh, for the management of the portfolio. You can you know it can be someone who's going to be making decisions on the real estate that the trust is going to own. Um, there's going to be, <coughs> excuse me, um, you're going to have, uh, the trustee be, be someone who is also going to decide, uh, if, if a child, is, you know, makes a proposal that they would like to, you know, bring money out of the trust for a, to, for a certain schooling, for, uh, traveling abroad, for starting a business, the trustee is going to be the one who is, is giving the blessing to, uh, to distribute those funds or not for those purposes. So, so having, having a, a trustee, um, you know, having the right trustee is, is, is critical inside of here. You need someone who is financially, uh, pretty, you know, financially competent. So you need a, a high financial literacy, um, person in here. So the trustee can be the same, uh, person as the guardian, or it can be different. And we'll get into that a little bit here as well. Um, if you choose an entity, so this might be a, a credit union, for example, that has trustee services. Then, then they will they have their own guidelines that they typically operate off of uh, for how they how they execute on a trust. And so that's where you can meet with them ahead of time. They'll they'll share with you their fees that they're going to charge to be your trustee, um, and then you can because it, it is a it is a it's a serious job inside of here. So especially if you are naming someone who's not an entity. Uh, make sure you consider that that allowing them to get compensated in some way for being the trustee because there is there is um, important legal work that they have to do behind here 
and uh, they actually have legal responsibility. Trustees can be can be sued by beneficiaries. Um, so you want to make sure that the trustee is fairly compensated for the work that you're asking them to do. The next thing is the guardian. And so guardian, this is, this is for parents of children with minors. This is the main motivator for them to do the estate planning. It's also the main um, hurdle that they have that winds up causing them to never actually complete their estate plan. I think most of my clients have come in and uh, known they needed to do a estate plan, but hadn't actually done it yet. And typically one of the biggest reasons behind that is they couldn't decide who they wanted to have as a guardian. Um, you've got a family member, a couple of you know, <coughs> family members on both sides of the family who may seem like good potential fits in some areas and other areas not. There's reasons for hesitation. There's arguments between husband and wife on on whose side of the family is is a better is a better fit. So um, this this becomes a big point of contention inside of state planning. So I want to stop here and, and kind of dig in on this one for a little bit. The if you if you have a guardian, we're talking about uh, children that are under eighteen, or if you have a child with special needs, um, that a guardian would be appointed. Uh, it's important for you to decide because otherwise the court's going to so. We want to leave the decision in your hands rather than the courts of who is the best um, guardian for your children. And while the courts certainly are going to make their best, um, you know, best decision that they can off that, people can, especially when there's money involved, people can, um, people can get, you know, put on a fake face, and, and things can get can get uh, different. So you might find someone pretending to be better suited than they are because of the benefits behind this. Because hopefully if you've done an estate plan, you also have put some life insurance in place. You've done some other things to make sure the assets there to, to cover your children. Um, and so certainly people can, can view that as an opportunity as well. And so we want to make sure that you are the one making the decision on who should be the guardian. Um, factors that we're looking at here, the quality of the person, um, <laughs> you know, in, in general, the, the quality of the person, um, the quality of important factors to you. This might be faith. It might be health. Um, it might be your view, their view on education. It might be proximity to where your kids currently live. You don't want, if you've got a great, you know, sister who can handle it, but she lives in Montana and you, you know, you live on the other side of the country. Well, you might not want your kids to have to move across the country. And so, so there are things like that to factor in this as well. Um, it doesn't have to be a family member. It's a, it's a very important piece of this. It doesn't have to be a family member who who takes over your kids. Now, certainly, that's the by far and away the the most um, typical practice, and and typically, you know, I guess not typically, but but oftentimes that's the best um, the the best approach, especially because they're going to know your children so well. They're probably going to have a deeper love for them. But if you've got other other friends that you are close with and that you're closely aligned with that they are, they can uh, make a candidate just, just the same. Next things that you're going to start to consider are, are their capacity to take on your children. If you've got, for example, we've got three kids. Um, if you're considering another family that has two or three or however many children, and even if they're a great family, do they have the capacity to take on three more children? Uh, that should also be a factor in you deciding uh, who's going to be your your top choice for uh, for guardian. 
Um, and if they're not sound financially, this is where, again, that, that trustee does not have to be the same person as the guardian. So if, if you've got someone who you think would just absolutely love and care for your children, but they don't make the best financial decisions, a trustee can be someone else who might be better suited to help guide them financially. And then they're going to be uh, monitoring the, the budget of, of, of how much money the trust delivers to the guardian to, uh, to take care of your children. Um, and, and so then the trustee, trustee can help out there. Another important thing to consider here is that you, you're not just limited to selecting one, uh, one person or one, one family as guardian, you can have a list and what you need to do is, is rank them in priority or in, in, uh, just in a hierarchical, uh, ranking. So that way this is, this is choice number one, if choice number one is, no longer available or chooses to decline because they can absolutely decline that then here's number two here's number three and so you can have a, a list of people in, in terms of your your preference of, of who who would be the top choice there as well now we're going to get into the distribution of the assets and so proverbs thirteen twenty two says a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children there's a, there's a lot that goes into the, the distribution of assets and, and what you're doing to hand hand this down. Um, we're going to try to grab a few of those pieces and, and just cause, you know, e- either A, bring some clarity or, or, or challenge the way you think a little bit on this. A big one is equal is not the same thing as fair. And so while you might want to be fair to all of your children um, it does or beneficiaries, because again, it doesn't have to just be children, um, that doesn't have to be the same thing as equal. So if you have two kids, they don't have to, it doesn't have to be 50, 50, um, things that might come into this. So if one of them's involved in the family business, if, um, one of them has been, uh, or maybe even more involved with producing the assets that, that are now inside your state. Um, if one of the, you know, based on, you know, one of, if they've got varying levels of financial success, uh, financial literacy, or especially financial discipline. If you have someone who spends everything that they have and are always looking for more, um, them getting assets, whether the same amount or even in the same way, and we'll hit, hit that here in just a second, um, may not be the best thing. So fair doesn't have to be the same thing as equal. When you are distributing the assets, they can get straight cash they can get the the other assets you know whether you have assets in an ira or um or you know some other investment account you know real estate whatever um so they can get those assets um they can also get things that are maybe a little bit more um controlled in terms of their access to them you see people use life insurance policies that that um that they have funded in or annuities and other things where it's a controlled release of of the of the assets that they're able to um, access as well. And so there, there are things that you can do there um, to control that if someone, if you want to hand down the uh, money to someone else, but they aren't necessarily ready yet to, to do that and, and to be good stewards of, of those resources. The next thing in, in going after the distribution of assets is the timing behind this. And the first thing I always talk to people about is, do you want to give with warm hands or cold hands? So your estate plan does not have to only be executed upon your death and or the death of you and your spouse. Um, so you see there's gifting. So people, you're allowed to gift um, up to a certain amount per person. And so 
every year the uh, the government changes that a little bit more to allow this. So um, just for simple math, when it was $15,000, if you and your spouse, you and your spouse could each give $15,000 to, if you had, a, if you had um, a family, if you, you know, one of your children was married and had two kids, then you and your spouse could each give $15,000 to every kid inside or every person inside that uh, family. So each of you could give, you know, $15,000 to all four of them. So basically that winds up being $120,000 that you're able to give, uh, you know, that, that family inside there per year without there being any, any taxable event. And so um, those numbers are are not there now. It's just using that for simple math, but the, the uh, concept behind that is, is your giving doesn't have to start when you pass away. Often, if you think about the fact of if you have, um, if you are, remember back to when you were in your twenties or thirties, and the the just the the financial um, situation that you were in then compared to someone who's in their fifties or sixties, when parents are more likely to be passing away, the impact of you getting a smaller amount of money in your thirties um, is far greater than the impact of you getting some larger amount of money in your 50s or 60s. Because hopefully by your 50s and 60s, you're more financially established and and a, a gift to you doesn't make as big of an impact. Whereas in your 30s, when you're, you know, you've got young kids, you're trying to grow the business or trying to build up your income and and you've, you know, you're more likely to be in, in more debt than a gift then makes a lot bigger impact. So um, that's something to definitely figure out the idea of giving when you have when you are alive allows you to see the impact of it um if you're giving to charity think about the idea of what type of difference you can make in the lives of the people you're trying to affect with your charity today versus waiting you know hopefully however long until you actually pass away um the idea being that you know your the the growth of your impact can be more significant starting sooner than 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 waiting and so um, giving with warm hands versus cold hands is, is certainly a big thing with this. Um, however, from a tax standpoint, it's often better to wait until you pass. And depending on what where the assets are, if you have assets in a traditional IRA, then those assets are going to be taxed when they come out of the account, basically no matter what. the. However, if you have assets in what's called a non-qualified account or some account that um, that is, is taxable, then when you hand those assets down, your beneficiaries get a step up in basis. So just use a kind of generic example here. If you owned stock and what you had paid $10,000 for, you've held onto it for a long time and now it's worth $100,000. If you hand that down to your children the day before you die, then they owe taxes on that $90,000 difference, that $90,000 capital gain, they're going to owe taxes on that. If that gets handed down to them upon your death, then there's zero taxes owed and their new basis is now $100,000. So if they chose to sell that stock the day after they inherited it, they wouldn't owe any taxes on it. And so there's certainly a reason to wait um, to hand down certain assets. And this is where, again, you working with your financial advisor, your estate planning attorney to decide which assets to hand down when uh, becomes very important. So there's there's no blanket statement in this. Another important thing in timing is the um, the idea of if you're putting assets into an irrevocable trust. And so 
first we need to um, describe what an irrevocable and revocable trust are. So a revocable trust is, is something that you as the um, the grantor, the one who is making the gift, it's something that you're able to go in and change. You can you can revoke that. You can decide that that kid is has now um, started doing something that we don't approve of, and so therefore we're changing the way this trust works. If you have an irrevocable trust, you have made a gift that you no longer have rights to. You can you can make changes to it only upon the agreement um, by the by the beneficiaries of this. So. What the IRS looks at is that when you make a gift to an irrevocable trust, it's now moved out of your estate. This becomes very important with the as the complexities inside your estate planning get get higher. If we make an ir- a gift to an irrevocable trust, it's now outside of of our estate. Um, we'll get back to why that means why that's more uh, important here in a minute. But the um, from a timing standpoint, if so, some people when they have a, a parent who's getting ready to maybe go into a nursing home they often are trying to drain the assets that are inside that parent's name. So that way the parent, um, that way, you know, basically the, the, the government can't access those funds anymore. The problem with that is, is there's a clawback period. And so, um, so, you know, a nursing home or, or the government can maybe go after some of those assets that were in there, even if they've been moved out of the estate because they hadn't been moved out of the state long enough ago. And so that's where timing becomes important there. But this irrevocable and revocable um, aspect of, of your trust, or of, yeah, of your trust and of your estate becomes important when we start talking about estate, uh, estate taxes. So federally today, it's uh, for 2023, it's 12.92 million. So 12.92 million per person that you're allowed to hand down um, in, in out of your estate without any federal tax being applied. So you have that $12.92 million exclusion per per person inside a marriage. Um, the uh, above $12.92 million per, per person is a kind of a graduated tax that starts at 18% and goes up to 40%. So basically anything over a million dollars above that $12.92 is then going to be taxed at a 40% uh, state tax rate for that goes to the federal government. Beyond that, you have 13 states that have a an estate tax as well, which range from anything above a million dollars to anything above $13 million, or I think it's a little bit under $13 million um, that they would then assess their own tax on and at a varying rate. On top of that, you have six states that have an inheritance tax. Difference between inheritance tax and estate tax, inheritance tax um, taxes the the uh, beneficiary as they inherit the money or the assets. The estate tax taxes um, the estate before the um, before the uh, assets are even moved out of it. In Maryland, if you are lucky enough to live in Maryland, then you get both. You get both an inheritance tax and and an estate tax. Um, so that that revocable trust, irrevocable trust, when you move assets outside of your um, outside of your estate, then it's what the value was at the mo- moment of the gift. So for example, if you have, if you were buying stock into some company or you have a privately held investment that you think is going to do well, and you move that into an irrevocable trust today, while the, um, the value is at $20 million, uh, the, the company is valued at $20 million. So whatever your percentage of the assets are, let's say that you, you know, you own $200,000 of equity and, 
in this company. When that company go, grows from twenty million to to two billion dollars in value, and then your your percentage of equity also you know does the same, then you're only that of that twelve point nine two million dollar exclusion that you have, only the the two hundred thousand dollars that you initially put into it it comes off of that. So now you've used up two hundred thousand of your twelve point nine two million. Um, and so it doesn't matter what the growth of that is once it's inside the irrevocable trust. So that's a, that's an important piece behind this. Um, and if you set this up correctly um, inside some of these like spousal lifetime access trusts, we want to set it up so you can actually interchange um, assets inside of there as well. If you have one performing better or worse than another, then we can maybe make changes inside of there to to um, move that around to maximize the, the tax efficiency there. Uh, next thing that we want to go over here is the the idea of of hoarding wealth versus giving it away. Many people just assume that they're trying to collect as much wealth as possible. They're going to hand it down to their kids, and they really don't give much thought to the the uh, ripple effect of that. And so, first and foremost, what do your kids really want? Um, hopefully, if you've if you've done this right, the money isn't the main thing that your kids want from you. They want time with you. They want to be validated by you. They want help through their issues with you because you've been there and done that. You can see around the corner to let them know that this thing that feels like a really big deal isn't as big of a deal and, and just help them, love them, be with them. That's what they want more than you accumulating more assets that you're going to hand down to them upon your death. Um, there's a lot of downside to handing handing money down and, and an extreme responsibility that's on you as the grantor that that you need to take seriously um oftentimes as wealth is as wealth is generated um normally your kids so if you're generation one you've you've been the one who's generated the wealth we're going to call you g1 generation one your children have seen the work ethic that's taken to produce that hopefully you've been able to do that without um without in a way making them just a a byproduct uh, of your life and you, you've poured into them. Um, obviously, a lot of people who've built up significant wealth have done so at the expense of their family. Um, so hopefully that's not you. But either way, Generation 2 has typically seen the work ethic that's gone into creating the wealth. Their children, Generation 3, um, at least know of they they you know they probably have a relationship with you as your as your as their grandparents and you've been able to help communicate that somewhat to them of what it took to build this the wealth that we have by generation four if you think about this can you um, can you name your great grandparent your great grandmother's maiden name and so if you can't name your great grandmother's maiden name just use it as a bit of a thing for you to realize like generation four typically doesn't understand where the money came from or what it took to get there. And they are typically much poorer stewards of of the funds um, than any of the previous generations. And so by generation four, you see a lot of problems happening inside those families. And so um, there becomes a, a, a big responsibility to you being the wealth creator and the one who's handing it down to make sure that you help um, each future generation be ready to handle the... the uh, kind of the burden of the assets that, that are you're, you're giving them. And so when you think about this, when someone's, when someone is, is a, is a trust fund baby, when someone has, um, when, when someone's given a, a, a large amount of wealth, it changes, it changes a lot of things. It changes the, the pressure for them to need to do as well in school. Um, it changes the, 
you know, if, if you're able to buy their way onto the sports team, even if they didn't deserve to make it, um, that, that changes a lot of things that if they didn't have to get a job, um, in their, in their younger years, or if they had a job, it was with, it was with, you know, dad's buddy and they didn't have to, they didn't have to try. They didn't have to go through an interview. They were allowed to screw up more and not pay the consequences of it. Um, or especially if they worked inside, you know, inside your company, um, the, so as you go through these things that, you know, they, they never had to deal with a, a clunker of a car that may or may not make it to, to where they're going. Um, they, they, they didn't have this, the same, um, relationships that they built up with friends. If, if everyone knows that they're, that they're wealthy, uh, oftentimes, you know, they've got a different depth of, of, of friendship. And so, with that, then what, what winds up happening is you, you rob children of character building opportunities. And so if you look at what made you successful, the, the wealth that you're creating, most often, you know, the, the person that I'm asking that question is going to say, well, it was the, the grid and determination. It was the, it was when, when we got down to our last thousand dollars and we got denied by the bank, you know, by six different banks. And you had all these things that, that really shaped you, that, that challenged you, that built your character up, that helped you become who you are today and that build the success that you've had. And if you rob your children or your grandchildren or great grandchildren of those character building opportunities, um, you can't even be upset with them when they, when they start to have some of the problems that a lot of these kids have. And, and so from that standpoint, it just becomes so critically important that as, as you're handing down assets to them, that you're doing it in a way that, that helps enhance their life and doesn't rob them of the ability to, to build their own character. As we mentioned, the, the idea around relationships, um, you need to teach them like they, they need to, they need to actually go through training on relationships. So that way they can a know who's trying to use them for their money. Um, but, but B, they're going to, they're going to have issues around knowing, are they, um, are they being used to people? Do people really like me for me? And, uh, especially when it comes to dating, that's, that becomes even more important. So, so helping them become really mature and really good in relationships is going to be critical when you hand down wealth. Otherwise, if you don't take the, if you don't take that responsibility seriously, you are better off and your children and grandchildren are better off with you not handing down the wealth than, than handing it down to them without equipping them to, to, to deal with the, the extra burden that it becomes. Um, and so then, you know, the idea being, if you can control how much wealth they get and when they get it, because inside a trust, you can, you can set it up that they don't just get all the assets when they turn 18, like a will. A will is just set up that these people get the assets. You don't get to dictate when. And so when a child turns 18, here you go. Here are all the assets that you have. And, and most of you can probably understand that when you were 18, had you been given a million or whatever the, the value of your estate is, you probably wouldn't have been the, the wisest with that. Um, and so, so from that standpoint, inside a trust, you're able to dictate this that says, I'm going to give my children 10% of the assets in the trust when they turn 25. I'll give them another 10% when they turn 30, another 10% when, or maybe 30% when they turn 35, and then the uh, remainder of the trust assets when they turn 45. And so something like that, that allows them to get a little, a little boost, another little boost, but not enough that they can just sit back and do nothing. Um, we w- want to encourage them to go out and be enterprising, to go make something of themselves and to not just be the child of the 
the grantor of, of, of the wealth that, that we don't, we want them to have their own identity, um, their, their own purpose in life behind that. Um, and then we also want to help them understand the responsibility. Like if they receive the wealth, there's nothing wrong with, with being a child of a, of a wealthy family. Um, but, but you have a responsibility inside that. And when you view yourself as stewards of the resources that God's given, um, there's going to be a, you, you you need a high level of humility, and and that's very tough inside a wealthy um, child who's grown up in, in immense wealth to be humble. But basically, we want to create the opposite of entitlement. We want to help create humility inside them that they recognize that they've been given a gift that a lot of people haven't been given, and they see the responsibility that they have uh, to do that. And so that means they're going to be leaning into philanthropy, helping them understand that this isn't just something for us. That this is something that we're we're meant to go and use. Um, you know, for, for me, I'm going to say use for the, the furtherment of the gospel, using for the, the, you know, the things that are important to me, you know, human trafficking, using to, to help combat human trafficking and bring, bring, um, bring people to freedom. But at the same time, whatever that is for you, um, and for you and for your family, you know, we can set up foundations, we can set up donor advice funds, we can set up other things that help them understand how to, um, how to steward that, that well. And so that, that just becomes this, this other critical piece behind, behind the the idea of someone who's inheriting uh, tremendous wealth. So with that, I think I think we'll wrap it up there. There's, that's a kind of an overview of a lot of the components inside of inside of an estate plan. Again, please please consult with uh, with an attorney, with your financial advisor of the of how these apply to you. And I just want to encourage you to do it. Go ahead and get that estate plan done because um, we hear the stories, especially in my career, we hear the stories all the time of the people who didn't. And if they don't have, if your estate's not in order, it becomes a major mess to uh, to beneficiaries, even if you have assets, even if they are already financially stable. And especially if you have minor children or if, um, you know, there's just so many reasons that we, we would really encourage you to take the time, save the money to, to do this correctly and to, to execute an estate plan. My recommendation is a trust in a general sense, but uh, just, just a simple will might be the best for you. Um, so again, please please seek out some counsel and and get that you know get that over the over the finish line. Um, thank you for listening in. Next week um, we are going to have Chuck Day with the International Justice Mission. Is going to be on uh, the International Justice Mission IJM. They they protect people in poverty from human trafficking and, and modern day slavery. And so that's going to be a really uh, fascinating episode. You're going to hear a lot of stories that'll probably move and shake you, but that's going to give you hope that there's some, some great things happening. There are people out there who are having success in combating these, these uh, modern issues that we have. Um, as always, if, if this is valuable to you, I just ask you to, to share the content with others. Um, subscribe if you want. If you want to keep getting notified that, that these episodes are coming out and thank you for your time. We'll see you next week. Thank you again for listening to Wealth Well Done. Be sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player. And together, we'll continue to improve our relationship with money and our effectiveness in stewarding it well.